I am the bread of life, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, uh, the last few sermons I've looked uh, with you at the reality of our Lord imbibes, our Lord uh, uh, is all that the Old Testament uh, stood for. And uh, Father James uh, Meager, in his well-known book, many of you are familiar with his book on how Christ said the first Mass, makes a very interesting um, analogy of how Christ uh, fulfills this uh, reality of all that the Old Testament stood for. He, he states for us that Moses, Moses led the Hebrews in the sight of, of the promised land, but he did not himself enter. Joshua, or as his name means, Jesus, brought them into Palestine after Moses' death. A mystery is written in this. For a greater than Moses, Jesus, was foretold to lead the world into the mysteries of the canon of the Last Supper, the Mass with the consecration, the Eucharistic sacrifice, and the communion. The synagogue service carried the Mass as far as the end of the preface. There, the worship of the Jews uh, and the Jewish church stopped. But Christ and the Apostles brought the Last Supper to the end of the Mass. The first part of the Mass is found, or founded on the worship of the Jewish temple and the synagogue, a little modified. But the supernatural faith enables us to see the heavenly wonders of the real presence. In other words, everything you see in the beginning of your Mass up until the preface, that we can see uh, coming to us from the Old Testament. But from Christ... Uh, comes for us, everything from the preface onwards comes to us from Christ and the church. It's taking the ceremonies, the laws, the, the, the things of the Old Testament, and now it's elevating them to something far higher. So that for the Jews in the Exodus in the desert, the, the, um, the uh, uh, Palestine was for them the, the promised land. Uh, and, and in reality, to be honest, it wasn't that great. Okay, But it was the promised land that God had promised these people. Um, and for us, the promised land is heaven. And uh, the, Jew, the Jewish temple could only take us to a natural uh, Palestine, something natural. But Christ takes us to something supernatural, uh, the heavenly realm. We see the, the, the changing of this um, earthly bread and wine to the body and the blood of our Lord. And our Lord would, would remind the Jews in uh, St. John's Gospel, saying... I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they did eat manna in the desert and are dead. So this manna, it, was, it came to them in a very uh, uh, supernatural way, but essentially it was a natural food, and they ate it, and well, they're all dead. This bread, which comes down from heaven, that if any man eat of it, he may not die. Uh, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to him, to them, Amen, Amen, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life within you. He that eats my flesh and he that drinks my blood has everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Our Lord preparing them uh, in this episode of St. John's Gospel uh, for the great reality which is to take place at the Last Supper. But uh, our Lord 
had already prepared them for this long time ago in the Old Testament. Many, many things already. Our Lord makes reference to the manna, which came to them miraculously. But there's a far more a greater example than the manna, which was put before the face of the Jews uh, from the very beginning of when the tabernacle, and which I spoke to you at length last time, was established. And that is uh, what, what the Jews called the showbread. So before the tabernacle, there was uh, this, this table, which was made of acacia wood, which is uh, called by God to, to use this special wood, which is seen to be as incorruptible wood. And then it was in, overlaid with gold. But on top of that table was placed uh, two you want plates, if you want. On each plate had two large uh, flat loaves of bread. And each, each loaf was made of about something like two and a half kilos of, of wheat flour. And uh, uh, this flour was made to make these 12 loaves of bread. It was called showbread because, it, or another name was a face bread or the, the presence bread. It was placed before the presence of the God in the temple, in the tabernacle. And this, this bread had in front of it uh, two smaller little plates which had uh, the incense which was to be offered in sacrifice and then uh, a pitcher or a jug of wine. And these, these 12 loaves were to be consumed by the priests on the Sabbath, uh, eaten and then drank with the wine, and it was also renewed. They were 12, uh, again, baked on the Sabbath, and it would remain before uh, the people uh, of God, but it was only to be eaten by the priests, uh, and it was a sacred bread. And very interesting, what, why, what's the point of this bread? Why the bread and the wine? Well, you see even earlier... A figure I mentioned to you, this this mysterious figure in the Old Testament, who, who comes along, and uh, he, he sees Abraham, and God says uh, Melchizedek. He calls him Melchizedek, the 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 priest of the Most High God, and that's a bit odd because there was no at that time there was no established priesthood. Where how is he the priest of the Most High God when we didn't even have uh, the, Levitical, the Levitical priesthood at the time. And yet, it says that this priest, uh, Melchizedek, the high priest, the king of Salem, uh, he was the priest of the Most High, and he offered the sacrifice of bread and wine. And that's why St. Paul will refer to our Lord as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, uh, offering the sacrifice of his body and blood, which you will give to us in the form of uh, bread and wine. Already preparing uh, his people by this mysterious uh, reality in the Old Testament, which would be commanded by the Jews uh, to put before them uh, in the, the tabernacle, preparing them to understand uh, the divine presence that sits uh, in the bread. Uh, although it certainly was not super, supernatural bread, it was just normal bread. But already preparing their minds, this showbread, this bread of the presence, the presence of God. It sits in the presence of God. But explaining this, this transformation our Lord will make of the Last Supper, the Council of Trent explains that after Christ had celebrated the ancient Passover, which the multitude of the sons of Israel sacrificed in memory of their going out of Egypt, he instituted a new Passover that he himself should be immolated by the church and by means of the priests under a visible sign 
in memory of his passage from this world to the Father, when he redeemed us by the shedding of his blood and delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us to his kingdom. This beautiful reality. And even speaking on this point already early on, the, the Council of Ephesus in the year 430 explains that we will necessarily also add this, proclaiming the death according to the flesh of the only begotten Son of God, that is Jesus Christ, that, uh, confessing his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, we offer the unbloodied sacrifice in the churches and uh, so go on to the mystical thanksgiving and are sanctified, having received his holy flesh and the precious blood of Christ, the Savior of us all. And not as common flesh do we receive it, God forbid, but as truly the living, uh, life-giving and very flesh of the Word himself. For he is the life according to his nature as God, and when he became united to his uh, flesh, he made it also to be life-giving. Our Lord has united uh, this bread, has transformed this bread unto his body and blood. And speaking on this, this beautiful mystery, uh, St. John Chrysostom explains the greatness of our God in giving us this gift. When I speak, he says, of this great wonder, the Holy Eucharist, I unfold all the treasures of God's goodness and commemorate his greatest of gifts. And we, recounting over the chalice the unspeakable benefits of God and what mercies we have enjoyed, thus worship him and holy and hold communion with him, giving thanks that he has freed the human race from error, that whereas we were afar off from him, he drew near to us. And when we were without hope and without God in the world, he made us his brethren and co-heirs. This great mystery that our Lord gives to us and this great gift. And as St. John Chrysostom says, this is the greatest of gifts. God, if he wanted to in this life, could not give us a greater gift than himself in the Blessed Sacrament. St. Thomas Aquinas says, for this reason, all, all the sacraments, including marriage, every single one of them, uh, are instituted for this sacrament. They are all to unite us to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. The Blessed Sacrament in the mind of God, in the mind of the Church, must be the source and centre of our life. The things of this world fill us, but only Christ can fulfil us. Only Christ can eternally and even temporally truly satisfy us as we are called in this life. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, that great mind, when he was asked to, to write the words for the Feast of uh, Corpus Christi for the sequence of the Mass, he would uh, put forward those, that beautiful poetry, which we call the, the Lauda Sion. And in there, I think he captures in poetic form very beautifully uh, the great sentiment of God and the great uh, sentiment that we ought to have towards our God. And I just want to just take a few paragraphs for us to ponder, to think, to reflect on uh, as we grasp this, try to grasp a little bit uh, this great mystery which our Lord instituted for us at the Last Supper. At this table of the King, our new Paschal, uh, Paschal offering brings to end the old and right, here for empty shadows fled, is a reality instead, here instead of darkness light. His own act at supper seated, Christ ordained to be repeated. 
in his memory divine, wherefore now with adoration. We, the host of our salvation, consecrate from bread and wine. Hear what holy church maintains, that the bread its substance changes, into flesh and wine to blood, does it pass thy comprehending. Faith, the law of sight transcending, leads to things not understood. Jesus, shepherd of the sheep, thy true flock in safety keep. Living bread, thy life supply, strengthen us or else we die. Fill us with celestial grace, thou who feedest us below. Source of all we have or know, grant that with thy saints above, sitting at the feast of love, we may see thee face to face. Amen. And that's the beautiful sentiment, that that by this we may be drawn to its eternal reality in heaven. Uh, this is God's way of, of giving us a, a foretaste of eternal life. And, you know, if we go back to this reality of the showbread, the showbread uh, reminded them that God, uh, in the form of bread, uh, God uh, reminded them to, to make this covenant in bread, that God is their providence. God provides for them, and He always provides for those that are under His tent under his house, uh, and that he will feed them, yes, with the bread and wine, which, as we understand, will become one day uh, transformed by the means of the priest to the body and the blood of our Lord. But in the old law, that bread, that sacred bread, was only for the priests. There was an exception made when, when David, King David and his men were hungry, and they came to the priest in the temple, and there was no food, and he, he gave them of this, this bread. And um, in the New Testament, when uh, the, uh, the Pharisees complained that the, uh, our Lord and his disciples, they, they ate of the, of the wheat uh, uh, that belonged to the temple, our Lord said, but in the Old Testament, uh, David, King David, ate of the, the bread that belonged to the priests alone. Our Lord was already... Uh, preparing us for this re reality that this bread would no longer be for the priests alone, but he will extend it to all the faithful throughout the world. He will give his body and his blood to all of us. And, and St. Thomas, even in his Laura Sion, points out that our Lord gives it to sinner and saint alike. But he says that in the Laura Sion, the consequences are eternally different. So at the Last Supper, all the apostles, including Judas, went to communion. But the results were not the same. The results were not the same. Uh, and it's not for lack of our Lord's presence. Uh, it's for lack of the one receiving, the, the disposition, the, the attitude. Uh, and again, what was interesting about this uh, reality of the showbread we read in the uh, Old Testament that God says to the Jews very specifically, Every Sabbath, they, the twelve loaves, shall be changed before the Lord, being received of the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. In other words, this gift that you make of the bread, it's a sign of the eternal covenant, that is the pact agreement between uh, me and my people. And what does our Lord say at the Last Supper? And whilst they were at supper, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed and broke and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take ye and eat. This is my body. And taking the chalice, he gave thanks and he gave to them and said, Drink ye all of this, for this is my blood of the new 
Testament, which shall be shed for many unto the remission of sins. And the New Testament, that is the new covenant, the new agreement. This is the fulfillment of that covenant that is spoke of to the people of Israel of old. Through, uh, concerning the bread. How is bread a sign of an everlasting covenant? Well, because this bread is one day going to be transformed into uh, the body uh, and blood of our Lord. And what's interesting is, uh, when, when was this bread in the Old Testament, when was it established, this showbread? When they were um, in a foreign land, they were in ex- the exodus from Egypt. Uh, and there they were in the desert, if you want. And God provided this, this uh, showbread. It's when does our Lord establish the, uh, uh, the Eucharist in the New Testament? Just before he was to be betrayed. Just before the disciples were to undergo their greatest trial to date. And what does our Lord give them? Uh, our Lord gives to his friends who are about to betray him, he gives them the greatest of all gifts. I don't know of any human being at all I could imagine would have lived or will ever live that would be willing to give someone everything they possess who is about to betray them. I don't imagine any human being would think like this. And our Lord, knowing he's going to be abandoned by his own friends, betrayed by his disciples, Judas, St. Peter, they're going to betray him. And yet our Lord gives them the greatest of all gifts. He doesn't hold back. Uh, Our Lord, you know, on this night, he also washes their feet. But this is insignificant because in washing their feet, he's only washing them with water. But later he's going to wash our sins with his blood far greater. And uh, the last, uh, the first miracle of our Lord, what does he do? He changes uh, water into wine insignificant compared to the great miracle of the changing of the bread into his body and the wine into his blood. And in a certain sense, we, we often don't refer to it as a miracle because it's not, something, it's not a change that we can see uh, because we know we believe it by our faith. Uh, whereas the changing of water into wine where you can see and taste literally the difference between water and wine, uh, it's a bit more of a clearer miracle if you want. But nevertheless, a miracle is taking place. Uh, the, the substance of what is bread and the substance of what is wine is no longer there. But the appearance, the appearance still remains. And that's because our Lord accommodates himself to our, our nature, makes it easy for us. It will be a, a very hard thing. I, I know myself sometimes when you're given a medicine you don't like, well, I, I speak for myself, I often put off... Taking it, I don't like it. It's horrible. It makes me, the medicine makes you feel sick. So imagine you had to come to Mass and you had to eat flesh. Well, you'd be a bit put off. Uh, just on a natural level, even if you knew it was the flesh of God. So our Lord accommodates himself to us uh, to do all he can to draw us to him. And, and this is the beauty of our God. His, his love is excessive. Uh, his goodness is beyond our, our comprehension. And what does our Lord ask of us? He asks of us love and adoration. And this is why on this night we, we have this adoration to uh, this evening after the Mass. Uh, this is what our Lord expects of us. This love, this gratitude, this adoration. Uh, 
this is why we, we try to encourage you with not only the, the adoration after Mass on Sundays, but also the, the sung Masses, all to, to learn how to, uh, to teach us how to better adore, love, and show our Lord our gratitude uh, for all that He does for us. You know, very interesting that the only thing that our Lord seemed to complain to Margaret Mary, uh, uh, St. Margaret Mary about is the ingratitude uh, of men and their lack of love to Him. He could have complained about so many other things, their lack of faith, their lack of adoration, the lack of uh, mortification, but the lack of gratitude and the lack of love. And I, I think the best prayer that, that sums up the sentiment we, we have is the one that, uh, if we believe, our Lord taught us through uh, the, the children at Fatima. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you, and I ask pardon for those who do not believe, who do not adore, who do not hope, who do not love you. The, those beautiful prayers, uh, and the other one to the Trinity, the most holy Trinity, I adore thee profoundly, and offer the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrage of sacrilegious and the indifference by which he is offended. The infinite merits of the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg the conversion of poor sinners. That's very, a very beautiful sentiment that perhaps we can, we can try to want to have in our hearts. A sentiment of faith, of adoration, of gratitude, and of love. Uh, he, our Lord has, has not spared anything. He has not held back anything. And, and this is why when, when somebody says to me that the, the Eucharist, uh, it's just a symbol, I, I'm offended, I'm insulted. Why? And I'll tell you why. Because... I can give I can give somebody a symbol and you can give somebody a symbol. If your God can only give you a symbol, heck, he's not better than me, then he's no good, he's useless, he's stingy, he's not really a God, because I can give a symbol. You can give a symbol. But God doesn't give us a symbol. He gives us everything. His body, his blood, his soul and his divinity. And a symbol doesn't give you eternal life, no matter how nice the symbol is. It can't give you eternal life and it can't even lead you to eternal life. And the whole of the old law was based on symbols. But as St. Paul says, the whole of the old law, unless it's pointed to Christ, it's sterile, it's useless, it's vain. It's, in fact, it's a, it's a false worship. And today, the worship of the Jews precisely is idolatry. It's a false worship. Because all that it pointed to has come. The reality is Christ. And Christ, the, the, how can... The, the, the thing that is to come, how can the thing that foreshadows it be greater? That doesn't make sense. Never do you see that anywhere. Uh, if Christ was only giving us a symbol, then all the symbols of the old law were even greater than his symbol. Uh, because at least the Jews in the Old Testament, they, they ate the lamb. Well, if he's only given me a, a biscuit or a symbol, it's not really that great. But precisely because it's not and our Lord doesn't say, this symbolizes my body. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. And the priest at the Mass says the same thing. This is my body. This is my blood. He acts and works in the person of Christ for the faithful of Christ to give them Christ. Because Christ wants to hold nothing back. He wants to give everything for us. How great is our God. And you know, again, in the storm of our life, in the storm of the crisis in the church, our Lord is still here. He's not abandoned his people. 
despite the insanity in the church and in the world, you still have access to Christ. You still have him body, blood, soul, and divinity. What an amazing thing. Uh, in the madness, in the betrayal, in the uh, infidelity, our Lord is still faithful to you. Our Lord is still here for you. Let us at today's Mass, let us uh, bow our, our heads and our hearts in profound adoration at this great mystery. And I think perhaps because we have such easy access to this, we have lost sight of really what it is. What a beautiful uh, uh, gift that God has given to us uh, in this blessed sacrament. Uh, St. John would, would note for us on this Last Supper that he was the one who, whose head was near the heart of our Lord. And later on, he would not sign his name. He would say, the one whom Jesus loved. This is how much he was marked by the love of our Lord the one whom Jesus loves, that defined his whole life, his whole person. I am the one that Jesus loves. That's what should define our life. I am the one who loves Christ, and I am the one who is loved by Christ. Sacred heart of Jesus, make our hearts like unto thine. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Amen.